Welcome to Around the ACL. It's me, Michelle Thompson, here, your host. And I have, of course, Trey Ryder and Anthony Ione with me. And we are coming back from a little week off thanks to Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving, guys? It's good. Mine was good. Pretty, uh, pretty chill. Um, didn't do very much. Kind of hung out. But now this weekend, I did get to go to one of the college stop tours. I went to the University of South Carolina college stop. So that was that was cool to to get out there and see how the college tour was rolling. And uh, although it was an enemy territory um, for for uh, for Clemson, uh, Clemson got away <laughs> with the win. So that was the good news, everybody. So just make sure I got that plug in there. To everybody, I don't think it was good news to everybody. But sure it was, it was good, good news, news to, to to all the cool kids. That's oh that's, okay. Yeah. That's, that's how we're clarifying who's cool. I got it. How about you, Anthony? I got fat. No, you did not. Yeah, <laughs> I finally, I finally got through all the leftovers. Uh, you know, we do the traditional thing, so it was like fifty family members in one house. Um, wow. You know, yeah, oh, it was a good time word. drinking, and then, yeah, finally got through all the leftovers. So at your house. Christmas will be at my house. That same crew, uh, Thanksgiving was at my aunt's house. Good Lord. Yeah, it was good Good luck. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. That reminds me of, uh, we. I'm Jewish, and Passover, we'd go to my great aunt's house, and there would be like 60, 70 people there, and it was insane, because um, that, that's the big holiday for us. But other than that, Thanksgiving is very low-key. <laughs> There's just a very immediate family at my in-laws. I'm not a big fan of Thanksgiving food. Um, it's just not my favorite. I don't what? know. I know. Oh, oh man. It's, Dressing it's, it's the gravy. It's turkey. I don't like mashed potatoes. I like a potato in pretty what? much any other form. <laughs> <laughs> what is so exciting about a mashed potato? It's way better fried. Come on. It makes you feel love is what it, it's what's special about it. <laughs> not, oh, not as much as like a, a good fry or like a, what's the one with all this like the sour cream and all this cheese and yeah come on there's better forms of potatoes let's be honest there are well, many forms for sure i, I uh, we could debate potatoes all day long michelle but i, I guess I, I we can't unfortunately fortunately for you we cannot <laughs> oh you mean people didn't come to listen about potato debates all right fair enough <laughs> we, can, we can move on we've got a lot of cool stuff to talk about today uh, we've got the Virginia Beach Open happening uh, this coming weekend. And if you thought Cincinnati was stacked, whoa, all right, this one is insane. Uh, and I'm very curious to see who takes this one, if it's going to be another, uh, you know, rookie or amateur or non-pro. Like, let's see what happens. Um, after that, we're going to get into uh, Morton's Corner as usual, roll into buy or sell, talk about some news around the league. We're going to go into high or low uh, and then, of course, finish up with our hot takes. So as I said, this week is Virginia Beach, and I am super excited about this stacked field. Trey, who are you looking forward to seeing, or what are you looking forward to this weekend? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of another national vibe, right? Just a loaded stack of, of players and teams. For me, it's um, my kind of two big thoughts, I guess, are one, there are some teams that struggled. In, in their first open appearance. So now is that, was that a one-off or is that a pattern, right? How am I seeing them get into this coming season? That's kind of one thing I'm looking for. And then there's a lot of pros that are playing in their first open this year. So for me, it's kind of like, were those first 
bucket of pros I just talked about where they were in the last open in Cincinnati. Now it's like, okay, how are, how are these pros in their first big event of the season, even though it's not a national, how do they fare? There's a few I got my eye on, but as far as big picture goes, that's kind of what I'm thinking about. Yeah, that makes sense. Are you in same sort of thought, Anthony? Or yeah, yeah, I, same same categories. I got one other category, just big picture. Uh, back to that unique pairings. We've got a couple unique pairings out there that I'm excited to see come out. But just big picture, Trey hit it with uh, you know the breakouts, new singles and doubles coming in that we haven't seen yet this year. And then uh, the second court category, I'd kind of call back for more. You know, they're either coming back to show what they did in the first couple opens is a real thing. It wasn't an accident or, you know, showing that, Hey, what happened? That's not really us. We're going to come back and be better for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah. Be more fired up. Right. Exactly. I, there's a team I could think of in particular. Yes. <laughs> That's, that would be for me, Trey Birchfield and, and Alex Rawls. I, I'm very curious about that because they got a lot of slack in that first one. And, and like you said, Trey, like don't count them out. Okay. It's just one. Right. So, <laughs> All right, so Friday is women's senior or women's and senior singles, and then we have the pro. Is it pro am? Yep, pro am. Okay, and then the blind draws. So, what are your thoughts there? Uh, for me, I think it's a good. It, it's just like all the other opens. It's a good fun day to get started, right? Last night on ACL Live, um, you know, we we released all the pro am lists, so it was cool to see all the cool. Know all the different pairings and and I love watching program programs. It's kind of fun because it just has more of an upbeat vibe to it, um, and and it really gives some of these players from the local regions coming out to play a chance to play with some of the best in the world. So um, I, I love the vibe there, and then also probably really focusing for me on on women singles, just because I I like to watch women singles. I like to see who's um, you know who's really on a hot streak. Um, you know I think. Bernie Neighbors wrote in his latest Bernie's Beats that he thinks uh, he's got a feeling that there's there's a, a rivalry, a friendly rivalry brewing between Cheyenne Renner and Cameron Belvin, which uh, I think is a great one. So we'll, we'll see if they meet again in the finals of women's singles. I was just going to bring that up because he sort of alluded to the fact that Cameron Belvin isn't fiery enough, like doesn't want it bad enough. And and she reposted it and said, like, yeah, I guess I Noah said I could practice more. <laughs> so, I mean. <laughs> it, I mean, that's the vibe. I mean, it, that, which is crazy to think that she can be that good just being that laid back about it, right? It's just, well, is that just a personality trait, though? Or, like, you know what I mean? She's just more laid back. It doesn't mean she's not as fiery, necessarily. Correct. I mean, it, who, it, that doesn't mean if she if she practiced you know, 12 hours a day, she'd get better. I mean, some people would get worse. Yeah. So, true. I mean, who, who knows? She might, she might know exactly what she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Just a thought. She's doing pretty good for herself. Uh, how about for you for Friday, Anthony? Yeah. Women's singles. So uh, this one more, the back for more category. Uh, we saw Kaylee Hunter and Megan Maupin have a pretty good run at the last open it. They were fourth and fifth respectively. Um, I think that I think they make some noise again and improve those. Um, I, you know, I don't want to steal any any content from later in the show, but um, you know, seeing uh, you know definitely Belvin at number two on the heels of Cheyenne Renner makes sense. I mean, that's a good argument, uh, but I think those two ladies are going to make some noise at this next open. Yeah, absolutely. 
I'm also really excited for the Pro-Am. I think that's fun to watch. Kind of like when we had the celebrity one at Worlds, just that vibe and the and the audience was really involved because it's not as serious and it's just, it's got a really cool tone to it. All right, Saturday we got doubles and uh, we get to see some, like I noticed Jamie Graham's playing with Eric Davis this time. So um, some some familiar teams there. Any thoughts there? We'll start with you, Anthony. Yeah, maybe I'll just speak to doubles and singles together. So kind of uh, breaking out this season in doubles. I'm real excited about Eric Anderson and Ryan Smith, a new power team to the 2022 season. Um, Anderson threw with Jonas last year. Ryan was partnered up with Eric Stowe. So together now, uh, projected as a top 10 team on both my list and your list, Trey. So I'm really excited to see these boys break out with their first showing. And they've got high expectations of themselves as well. So um, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do. The Gore Twins. You know, we're going to get a first appearance from the 12-year-old PDC baggers. Uh, and these boys are elite. There's no doubt about that. Both top five PDCs on my list individually. And together, they're just a nasty doubles team. It would be no surprise, you know, if these young guns went out and sent some elite teams home and went deep into that tournament. I'd be excited to see that as well. Uh, singles, Mike Harvey's in the tournament. He's registered. I mean, I'm excited. Uh, we finally get some Mike Harvey. Uh, he was a breakout player last season uh, with his first appearance here at Open Number Four. So good things coming from Mike Harvey. I'm thrilled to see him back in business. So I'll be keeping an eye on him. Back for more. Um, we got Matt Guy, you know, a clear favorite in singles. He fired up the 2022 season with unprecedented PPRs. A first and a third in his first two open appearances coming out for his third. We'd expect some good stuff there. And then... Back for more as a partner with Brett Guy. They are the reigning open champions. So, uh, you know, they're going to come out and uh, we expect to see something the same. And they won that in pretty dominating fashion. I mean, in the bracket finals, they took down Windsor Harbaugh 21-3 and then went on to the championship match and only gave up 11 points to Graham Powers. Um, also, Ty Cobb and Jimmy Humans are showing up again. Second in their bracket, had a good showing. Um, if they have another good showing, I mean, to me, that kind of locks themselves down as a power team to watch this season. Um, so I'd really like to see them kind of, uh, you know, redo what they did in the last in the last Open. Um, you mentioned some of the ones uh, like Cheyenne Renner and James Baldwin back for more. I think they're more on the side of looking to improve, showing that they're better than what they did, along with Rawls um, and uh, Birchfield, Modlin Slowbomb, 17th and 13th in the bracket, expecting a way, way better performance uh, at this next one. And then that last category is talking about unique partnerships. Noah Wooten, Victor Glass. I mean, these are elite baggers who bring that elite style, uh, you know, dirty game. And if you don't know Victor Glass, you will by the end of the season. This kid is nasty. Um, he actually took the highest PPR in his bracket in doubles at the last open with a 10-3-5. And for a guy like Victor Glass, that is really, really high for that dirty style approach to the game. So, I was really impressed with seeing that. The other unique pairing, we've got some OGs representing, uh, you know, some of the older generation, Bob Vonch and uh, Jeff Reynolds. I'm excited about that one. Bob Vonch was a top 15 player in the uh, in singles and doubles in the 2020 season. And then for the new fans out there, you know, Jeff Reynolds isn't only a legend in the bag manufacturing world, but he's a legend in the game. So Trey Meese, one of my earliest memories of Cornhole goes back Ah, four or five years ago, and it was like a YouTube or a Facebook video, but Jeff Reynolds drops this airmail video where he hits 16 airmail in a row 
in some like, uh, it was like a garage or some shop or something. And for me, I was a new bagger. It was kind of like, like he was immortal, like he was doing things <laughs> that were impossible. So at that point I became a fan. I would love to see these boys make a deep run uh, as a, as kind of a, a unique team for, for open number four. And it's going to be tough for them to do so with that field. So I'm also curious. I couldn't agree more with everything you said. Trey, what about you for doubles and singles? Yeah, so um, what's funny is you went through your entire list. I have my list. We didn't have a single overlap. Nice. Not That's a good. single Un- unplanned overlap that I'm watching. That's how stacked <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, the last team to get a W win an entire tournament in the Virginia Beach, Virginia Beach Sports Center, Duncan Clemmer and Brandon Jones playing together for the first time this season. Obviously, they finished the year as a top 10 team last year. So really excited to see how they uh, play and continue that momentum into this year. They did not make a bag change. They're getting the sa- We're getting the same thing from Clemmer and Jones that we got last year. We can see if they can repeat. Uh, Tyler Parent, Brevin Valdivia. Traveling all the way from the yeah. West Coast to play in this event. They just come off of a really, really strong performance um, at, at a variety of different events, including the West Conference event. Um, you know, Brevin Valdivia in particular was really strong in singles. So really excited there. Greg Geary and Jimmy yeah. McGuffin. It's 2020 time. team of the year. Number one team throughout the regular season, all the way through the world championships and they come in second place at the World Championships in 2020. And then what happened in 2021? I actually know what happened. Jimmy McGuffin wasn't healthy. Greg Geary wasn't the same player for whatever reason. I'm just going to throw that one away. They get a mulligan on the season. (laughs) What am I getting from Greg Geary and Jimmy McGuffin? Am I getting a 2021 or am I getting a 2020 version? Because everybody loved watching the 2020 version. We just hope we can see that same team back. Um. The Rule Brothers, first time, you know, uh, we get to see them as pros paired up together. Justin Rule, we'll get in a little bit later, just swept a uh, just swept a regional. They they had a really good performance at the last Open of the year in twenty uh, this past season. Um, so they're a really strong team, and they also allow me to give the best pun in the world with their rule bags. Uh, instead of a roll bag, they have a rule bag, which is my favorite pun in cornhole. So I love to use that whenever I can. Um, <laughs> on the single side, national college cornhole champion turned pro, Draven Sneed. Really excited to see if he's going to be a top tier, mid tier, or bottom tier pro. I have no idea. I know he's talented, but it's tough for a lot of people to make that jump. Look at Anthony Kissel. Look at Timmy Jonas. It's not the easiest thing in the world to make the jump from the collegiate to the pro level. Um, then, you know, uh, last two, John Kitchen, I think, is probably top three most underrated pros that we have. He is an unbelievable player. He has the all-time record for best PPR in a doubles event at a national, ever. Out of anybody, highest PPR ever. And people people wouldn't peg that to be John Kitchen. He can be that special and he can be that good. And then finally, Dayton Weber. His first appearance as an ACL pro. For those that don't know Dayton Weber, he is a quadriplegic, which means he is going to be a unique throwing style for sure. But when you watch Dayton play, not only is it incredible to watch and he's consistent, but it's, it's inspiring too. So for me, seeing Dayton Weber come in as a professional player, 
The question, I know he can compete. The question is how much, How? what is his ceiling? We talk about floors and ceilings all the time. I think for him, his his floor is moderately high, which, which makes me happy. What I want to see is how high is that ceiling. And I think at this open event, we're going to get for the first time in a long day, because days are exhausting on someone like Dayton that throws in the way he does. I think the key is going to be how does he uh, how does he handle that type of uh, long day, long consistent play, and, and just excited to see how how he plays this weekend. Yeah, and you know we talked about this being the, the episode after Thanksgiving, and one of the things that I love about cornhole, and one of the things I'm thankful for about cornhole is that it's this incredible community, like literally. The slogan, anyone can play, anyone can win. I think that that's what you see with players like that. It's just so cool to watch. And it's not anything like he, he plays just as well as anybody else. There's like, right. he doesn't need any help there, uh, which is so cool. It's one of my favorite things about Cornhole. And I'm so thankful that I found it for more reasons than just a way to compete. It's so much more than that. And I think everybody knows that who plays at a higher level. And all this will be on ACL Cornhole TV. So it's going to be a fun weekend to look forward to. Anything else from uh, either one of you before we move into Morton's Corner? No, I like I like the analysis uh, that you gave of McGuffin Gary. Um, I'm big fans of that squad. You know, I, I hope we see that. I'm, I'm rooting for the 2020 version, like you said, 20 versus yeah. 21, coming out in 22. And then, um, yeah, you talked about the long days. That it would take, you know, uh, I actually was, a, I was fortunate enough to play Dalton and um, yeah, even for us, you know, a, a weekend of cornhole, you know, you could play up to 10, 11 games in a single tournament to be able to do that day after day. It's just very impressive of what he's able to do uh, with Dayton Weber. And um, yeah, I, I would be excited. And he actually, his PPRs, I mean, if you look at some of his stats, he's up there. I mean, he is yeah. in some tournaments, I've seen him high 10. So he fills the hole up with bags so yeah it'd be cool to see him, him make a run like that for sure absolutely all right well it's time to bring mike on for morton's corner he's got of course some really cool stats for us to get into so welcome mike to the show hey guys thanks for having me again yeah so absolutely it's, mike uh, <laughs> it's numbers time it's nerd time so, <laughs> so I've, I've been working on some numbers for you guys. And, and like usual, I, it, I don't really like to consider this playing stump you guys, but it, it's more fun this way to keep you in the dark a little bit. And then uh, just see if your, your general consensus type thinking meshes up to what the numbers are, are bearing out. So um, here's what I was looking at this week. Um, I had somebody asking me if I could do some analysis on, how important it is to be the number one seed, like how many times you, you actually win a tournament from the number one position. Um, I didn't quite go in that exact direction, but it got me to thinking a little bit. Now that we're doing rounders more often, um, how important is it to come out of rounders in good shape uh, with a good seed going into that single elimination tournament? So what I did was I took the last two years worth of pro events, which basically was seven events from two years ago when we had the pro invitational qualifiers. I did not count singles because you qualified for singles based on how you performed in doubles, which really wasn't always a true indication um, of your individual abilities. So I took the doubles events from the pro invitational qualifiers. There were seven of them. 
And then I took last season's pro shootouts. There was eight of them and we did uh, both singles and doubles rounders. So there's eight of those times singles and doubles at 16 events, seven from two years ago. So the sample size isn't extremely large, just 23 events, but I think there's some trends that emerged. So I'm going to put Anthony on the spot first here, Anthony. How important do you feel it is to come out of the rounders um, it, with a with a strong seed, say like the number one seed or just, you know, you know somewhere in the top you know, three or four seeds? Well, I was really off on the last time we did this, Mike. <laughs> we, we, there were numbers coming out of there I couldn't even believe. So um, my gut tells me it's 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 not as important to be one. Um, you know, obviously being last isn't going to be good, but um, I'm going to say it's not as important to be first. I'm going to stick with my gut. Okay. All right, and Trey, you, do you generally agree or do you feel differently? Yeah, I feel like there's a it's there's almost like a percentage. Like I think top 10% you're good. But then I think there's a drop off that happens pretty quick if I had to guess. Um okay. for from there. But I don't know. All right. So so in 23 events combined doubles and singles over the past 2 years, how many times do you both think, and I'll ask you, Trey, first, how many times do you think the number one seed has won? In Out of how many tournaments again? 23. That's across I'll singles say, and doubles. I'll say eight. Okay. That's a good Anthony, number. I was thinking think? definitely less than half. Uh, eight feels good out of 23. I'll go a little higher. I'll go, I'll go nine. Like I'll go nine. Price is right style. Oh. <laughs> All right, well, we're gonna we're gonna change this section to start calling it the "I Gotcha" section because <laughs> I have got some some news for you. One time, one. I was gonna say one. one I was time. gonna say one. I was gonna pull the, the real prices right move and say one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. Michelle says she's gonna bid. She's gonna bid under both of you and just go with yeah. number one. <laughs> Absolutely. It was uh, Adam Hisner at the uh, Memphis shootout. He was the number one seed and he won the event in pro singles. Other than that, no one else has won it from the number one seed position. So wow. don't get the number one seed position is what you're saying. You don't want Absolutely. that. Funny you say that too, because I think I think if I remember correctly, Ryan Smith and Steven Bernisette, weren't they the number one seed in Cincinnati? And I think they lost like their first game. That are you talking about the open? Yeah, the open most recently. I, the one. I, I did not include opens in these stats. Okay. But yeah, yes, I think they were the number one seed and they didn't quite finish it off. Um, yeah, I think I think they legitimately lost their first or second game, maybe. Yes. So I mean, and the first open of this season in West Dundee, we did have um, Windsor and Herrera as the number one seed, and they went on to win it. But again, that was an open, and I'm I only did the comparison for the pro events, um, but only one time has a pro won it from the number one position. It it completely surprised me. Now. Number two position, five times. So being the number two seed, a little You're more statistically off. relevant. 
Um, yeah, you know three. what would be interesting is, you know, and this is like the, again, I think last week I did the worst thing possible, which is put the host on the spot and I put Michelle <laughs> in a bad spot. Like the next thing to do is like for ask for things that you know aren't available. But like <laughs> the next thing would be, I think to understand would be, okay, that number one seed, unless it's a pro qualifier or an open or something where we ran a ton of qualifying routes. Most of the time that number one seed is not the only person or the only team with that identical record. Correct. So, so maybe the next question is if you, if you had the top record, which means you could be the one seed, two seed, three seed, four seed, five seed, or six seed, there's six teams that yep. are six and zero oh on this qualifying Right. Because in my mind, if you have the top record and you gave up an extra point because on the last round, you you know, you threw your bags off and you and you only gave up three, um, but they needed eight to beat you or something like that. I don't know. That could kind of skew it a little bit yeah. just because that last number is based on point differential. So maybe that's like the next step <laughs> in understanding how critical it is to end up with a good record. To your, to your point, I while I did not look at the exact records because that did cross my mind, but unfortunately, when you're when you're data mining and that thought yeah. doesn't cross <laughs> your mind until you're halfway through because you start right, to see a trend, right. you, you can't go back and look at them. But what I did do was I took the top four positions. Mm-hmm. So that was my next question. Okay. So if you take the top four positions, they have a total of eight wins. All right. And wow. if you take fifth yeah. through eighth. They have eight wins. So that's 16. Okay. And that leaves seven wins for seeds below nine. Wow. Okay. So I would say most of the thirds. time you have more than. So I would say, yeah, way more times you have more than that many players, right? Okay. So what I'm getting at is, okay, you said through nine, they have 16 of 23 wins. Through eight. One through four has eight. Five through eight has eight. And then that leaves seven wins for seeds nine and, and higher. So seeds one through eight have 16. 16 wins out of, of the, the 23 total wins that you looked at. Correct. So I think it's safe to assume we had more than 18 total players or teams at each one of those events. So essentially what I'm trying to get at is I'm trying to, I'm trying to break this down into math. You had more than 50% of the wins for the top eight players, which is at a minimum going to be at least 50% of the field. More than likely it's going to be a lot smaller than 50% of the field. So top eight, what does that percentage come out to be? So 16, so 70%. So you have a 75 or a 70% chance that if you come in the top eight, one of those teams is going to end up winning right. uh, that event. That's still right. a pretty good percentage. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Now, now I, Mike, I also, when you say, just a quick question. When you say top eight seeds, is that eight teams? Cause there's teams that'll have the same record, right? Right. So no, that, top is your eight seed, seed, that is your seeds coming out of rounders. So regardless, okay, so it's, it's if you truly eight teams. Yeah. Okay. There's right. no. Okay. So, because in some of the events, they were split up into two brackets. 
So I, I only looked at the top eight. Right. You know, I, I considered what you did in rounders and then looked at how you so did you're in the, taking in the overall brackets. The seeds would be after your records accounted for, then you go to points or something that yes. that gets you your Correct. eight to break the right. ties. I got you. Okay. So now, in reality, just, the, the, the messaging is number one's not that important. Number two is not that important, but I mean, you drop down to a 30% chance, right? I mean, you got, you have legitimately have a 30% chance of at best of winning if you don't finish in the top eight. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. That's now I also, st- up- it's not as statistically significant as maybe I thought it would be, but it's still pretty significant. I also looked up the number of uh, participants in the finals. So let's say you you made it to the finals, but you just you lost that championship match. So and the numbers still pretty much hold up. Um, there was a, a total of three number one seeds that made it to the finals in total. One of them won. Two of them came in second. So three number one seeds made it to the finals. Eight number two seeds made it to the finals. Once again, the second does better than the first. Yep. And then number three was three. um, Four was five. Number five was six. So all of those were better than the number one seed. (laughs) Do you think that the psychology of the number one seed? Yeah. I was going to say, do you think the psychology of the person who gets first is a little bit too confident, a little too cocky? That's that's almost the the theme that has to come into it is uh, is you know potentially maybe the number one seed lets their guard down just a little bit mm-hmm. or or it, there could be an argument be made that they the number one seed sometimes cruises into that number one spot based on weaker opponents higher point differentials and maybe they truly aren't in that dominating position but you that know, seems they, like that would be number less- one because they played a little weaker schedule yeah, but like how consistently can that happen? That seems less likely to me than there being a psychological trigger that happens when you get top seed that you're like, oh, I, I'm kind of like the best right now. You know, I kind of not that you're like, I got this, but there's a, a shift, I would think, mentally so, that would happen. So, so here's, a, here's, something, here's something fun that came out of it as, as I was looking through it. If, if you study the brackets like I do, you break them up into quadrants. So you've got your upper left quadrant, which is your number one seed your bottom left quadrant, which is your four seed, and then your number two and your number three seeds are on the right side of the bracket. Your number one, four, five, and eight seed. Okay, that's your left side of the bracket, if you will. Five winners. On the right side is your two, three, six, and seven seed. Eleven winners. So... What you can chase world? numbers down these rabbit holes, and sometimes they they make a lot of sense, and sometimes they just make you scratch your head. But only five times did the winner come from the one, four, five, or eight seed. Eleven times they came from the two, three, six, or seven seed. I so, feel like that. I don't have to explain that. Yeah, we need a lot more data to to crack the code on that one. Uh, so, so <laughs> I just a couple fun nuggets before I close this segment out. Um, Ryan Windsor, by the way, has been the number one seed over these past two seasons, over 23 events, five times. So no one else. There were seven other players that was the number seed, number one seed twice. But he was a number one seed five times. Mr. Consistency. Yes, that I think that there's a story there for that, how consistent he is. He is up near the top at every event. 
Um, the number one seed is only finished in the top four. Now here, Michelle, this may go to your point. Number one seed is only finished in the top four 10 times. That's yeah. it. 10 times out of, out of the 23. 23 yes. Less than half. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, all of you know the, what? All I, of the no, I, I take that back. It's even less. Um, that that included the uh, the Ryan Windsor, um, the Cedro Herrera win at the Open. I need to remove one of those numbers. So it's actually nine. It's nine times out of 23 times is the number one seed finished in the top four. That's bananas. So, so here's the no, only thing I can speak bananas. to, which is obviously not on the same scale, is that I know when I go up against someone that I think I'm better than, I play horribly. <laughs> like there's not, I don't know. I don't know what happens there. And listen, coming from the position I'm I'm in following Matthew around over the past season, there's some the exact opposite of that is true. When you play somebody that is that is better than you, sometimes you bring your A game out. So that right. number one seed everyone's gunning for. I, I think it's I, it I, I still can't get it. I I still combination I'm still kind of shaking. I'm like, this is weird. I think it makes sense. I think it actually makes sense. If you look at it from the psychological perspective, not the actual other, like just looking at the numbers doesn't make sense. But if you're looking at humans yeah. and sort of behaviors, I think it actually does make some sense. So we did That's have a one versus two statement ever. <laughs> we did have a, a we did have a one versus two finals at one point. Um, we did have Adam Hissner over Kevin Allen. Adam was the the no, only number one seed to hold. He actually beat the number two seed. Um, so that was that's only happened one time. Uh, the lowest seeds to win. Uh, I'm sorry to make the finals. Mike Harvey made the finals at 43 in Asheville. Um, and the lowest seeds to win. Brett Guy won as the 27 seed in Erie. And then the lowest seeded doubles team was uh, Bernasset and Gustafson um, as the 18 seed, which arguably is more impressive than a 27 seed because there's double, yeah, double, know, double, yeah. So you're, you're actually so the 18 seed won in doubles, the 27 seed won once in singles. So you you can make the argument that just making that 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 final bracket is the most important thing. You can win right. from any spot in the bracket. Obviously, the higher you are in the bracket, the better statistically you should unless be. Unless you're one. <laughs> yeah, unless avoid the number one. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to be so, number or or so if now you're that undefeated and you're up 18 to 18 to 2 in your final match, maybe you should give up six or seven points. <laughs> <laughs> now that will change things. I would say though, now that we've talked about this, if you are in the number one seed, pay attention to what how your thoughts change and see if if you notice a shift there. Because that would be my next, I guess, assessment. So the next time any of you talk to one of these premier players, you can actually ask them the psychology of how, why they think this is true, why they think the number one seeds have struggled. If it has something to do with their, their thinking, or if it's just statistically irrelevant, it could be a blip. No, there's no blips. It's always relevant. <laughs> always relevant. <laughs> yeah. All right. That so that's the nice. numbers this week. That's your, that's your overload of geekdom. I love it. It's so yeah. fascinating. And it's, it sparked geekdom for me on the psychology side. I'm sure it spiked <laughs> on the stat side, but all interesting and very interesting to take into this weekend. Now we're all going to be looking at those seeds. So thank <laughs> you for that. We appreciate that, Mike. Thanks, all right. Mike. We'll see you this weekend. See you, Mike.
All right, now that all of our heads are spinning, um, <laughs> let's go into buy or sell. Um, so these are for this weekend's event. So you're going to either buy or sell. And we'll start with uh, you, Trey. So Birchfield and Rawls bounce back for a top four finish. Buy or sell? Sell it. Not ready yet. Um, no. I think it took a couple of events for Graham and Guy to put it put it together last year. Um, and once they did, it was they they never looked back. Um, I think the same is going to be true. I'm I want to see a little bit more for Rawls. I know Birchfield's ready. I just I, I want to see it a little bit from Rawls first. Okay. Anthony. I'm gonna go the other way. I'm gonna buy right. it. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, holding true to my top 10. So they were 17th at open number three. I had them in my top 10 from the beginning, actually number five. And, and I, we all know cornhole is cornhole. You can have an amazing day one day and then the wheels fall off the next. I'm not convinced yet that that poor showing is how it's going to translate all year. So I think they bounce back. I'm going to, I'm going to buy it. All right. I like it. All right, next one. Renner and Belvin are again the finals for women's singles. Buy or sell? Uh, I am going to sell it again. Um, and the reason I'm going to sell it is because I think I really have liked what I've seen statistically from San Finley over the past few events that I've been keeping up with her. She's been really, really good. Um, you know, Even at the regional this past weekend, I was looking up her stats. She was, she was the, the highest performer in doubles. Um, you know, I, I think... I think Finley sneaks in there against Renner. I think it it goes uh, Renner and Finley in the finals, and Belvin ends up third. Don't nice. look out for Connie too, because Connie, she's gonna be there. Just saying, yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no. Now you could go, you could go Altice, you could go Moppin, Hunter, Coy, yeah. Coy. I mean, there, there's a lot that you could throw in there. Uh, I just, sure. I'm, I'm a big Sam Finley fan. Me too. Yeah, you guys, you guys went right where I was going to go. I'm going to sell it, too, because registered in the field, we've also got Connie Altice, Megan Maupin, Kaylee Hunter, Miranda Coy. And then, like you said, we got multiple national world champs in Finley Streaker. I'm selling. I think we get a different women's final this, this go-round. Fair enough. All right. A home state Virginia player defends home turf and wins either singles or doubles by herself. Ooh, see, this one's tough um, because there's a lot of different options here. Um, if we look at the most recent one in the building, uh, we didn't have that. We had Windsor, then we had Clemmer and Jones. So that it wasn't a home state person. Um, I'm going to sell it, even though the Atlantic Conference, I still believe, is arguably the most stacked conference. Uh, I'll sell it. I'm, I guess I'm selling today. That's three straight sells for me. <laughs> All right. So Mish, you yeah. were saying singles or doubles out of, out of Virginia? Correct. Yeah. So in singles, I mean, you got some Kentucky residents uh, that are going to have other plans. Uh, yeah. You got Matt and Brett guy in that. You got to get through those. And then I don't know. I mean, North Carolina is going to be like, yeah, right. I mean, you got, yeah. you got what, Jamie Graham, Josh Holland, Modlin. I think Clemmer's out of there. Eric Davis. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to pick a state, I feel like North Carolina statistically got the best shot just, just from the, the quantity of talent. I'm going to sell that one. All right. A singles winner finishes above a 10.7 PPR. 
buy or sell? 10.7 is high, but I will buy it. Oh, okay. We're buying now. Okay. <laughs> I think it's going to require a special performance to win this event. I Brandon Bobilia was kind of that person that came and and Omanza in the finals, right? I think part of the reason because their brackets, they were solid in their brackets and they played really well timely. I don't think we get that this time. I think whoever wins, we're going to get a birch field like from last time where it's whoever was dominant continues to be dominant. And I think ultimately we have someone above a 10, seven. Yeah. Historical, think? historical statistics would say sell that all day, but then you throw Matt guy in there and then it gets all jacked up. Um, <laughs> so true. Yeah. But he's going to win. Just he may throw a 10, seven and lose. Right. Yep. I mean, you got to, I think it's, it's interesting, not saying we're going to have someone throw above a 10, seven. It's someone's going to throw above 10, seven and win and win. Yeah. I don't think it's sustainable either. It's, it's going to take a Matt guy to do it three times in a row in singles three times in a row. That just seems unreal to me. I'm going to sell. All right. And last one, the Gore brothers have a top 10 finish by yourself. This is the toughest one because I think they're in the nine through 17 type of range for me. That's a range. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I was just going based on finishes, like in brackets, right? You, you think it's like nine, 13 and 17 or something like that, okay, you know, get or something. So I, I'm going to sell it. I think they finish probably around 17th. If you have a lot of brackets, you know, maybe 13th or something, but I'll sell it, but they're, they're close. They're ready. I don't think it's not because they're not ready. I think it's more just a testament to how stacked this open is. I'm going to go the other way again. I'm going to buy this one. Um, you know, Jake, he wins his bracket at world. So he's top eight out of what Trey, like 400 plus baggers yeah. uh, in that advanced division. Um, Jack right behind him. I think he ended up like third or fifth in his bracket. So individually, these kids are nasty. But as a team, they're even nastier. Uh, and they beat elite level pro teams on the regular. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy this one. Cool. Anything with a 12-year-old, Anthony is buying. 100%. Yeah. yeah. It's so true. Uh, Anthony, you are the best uh, spokesperson for Kids Throw 2. We appreciate you. Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to move into news around the league. Uh, basically we had a couple really big events. We had the West conference event and, uh, we got to see, um, well, my boy light skin, Corey Gilbert show up because we called him out. Uh, so I was excited to see that I was looking for it. So let's talk about this West conference a little bit, uh, here for advanced singles in first place. We have, uh, Zazueta and Val Valdivia in, um, I'm sorry, I'm going at singles. So first Zazueta, second Valdivia, and third uh, Peter Zazueta, and then third Nate Long. For doubles, we had Zaft, Hadley, Thielen, Gilbert, and then Labrador, is it Labrador? Yep. yep. Okay, I'm going to make sure I'm saying that right. And Nick Williams. Um, and then for women's singles, we had in first place Charlene Simmons and second place Tegan Owens. Um, now, fortunately, these are a lot of names I'm familiar with being over on the West Coast. Super excited to see that conference in Vegas. Uh, what are your thoughts there briefly? Hey, Trey, maybe, maybe just something for you real quick. Kind of big picture. Um, I kind of want to say the West is coming. I mean, you've been here from the beginning, right? What are your thoughts on the past four or five years and where the West, ha how the West has grown over that time that you've been watching it closely? What do you think? 
Yeah, 2017 and 2018, I forced that narrative that the West was here. Well, they weren't, but I forced it to keep everything we competitive. Yeah. yeah. Um, 2019 felt like, okay, we have Tyler Parent. We have Doug Zaft, right? We got like three guys that can legitimately compete. 2020 was still a lot of that this year. I saw I saw a shift, and part of that was when you see someone like a Ty Lopez and Peters as way to win an open together. That was a big deal, I think, back at that point. And now, as we see it go along, I think it was a big deal for Corey Gilbert to go eight and zero at the Pro Qualifier. It's different Huge. now. Yeah, it's yeah. it's different. It's a different feel. Now it's just about it's no longer about a movement. The West is here and here to stay. But what the West wants right now is they need a they need a Matt guy. They need a Trey Birchfield. They need a James Baldwin. All these different states, right, and all these conferences have their guy that can be unbeatable no matter who they play. I think that's the only thing at this point that the West is missing. The West is missing that player that is just, you know, GOAT status for that region. And I think that's what needs to be cultivated over the next year or so. I think we have it. It's a junior player and I think he's coming. So look out for that. Well, you think it's you are so you and Nick are such an Adrian Brunson fan. It is unbelievable because, because he has every shot, right? Like he's he's that kind of bagger, or, or is, do you call it bagger? I forget how you qualified them, Anthony. <laughs> you have different names, right? For yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> so whichever one is a shooter, okay. So bagger, shooter, I don't know, but um, he's got all the different shots, um, and he's perfected them all. And I think that yeah, well, he's gonna be at the the fifth open. So you guys will get to see him there. Man, I can't wait. Maybe he'll be our one non-pro to win it. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. I think he's coming. All right. Moving into high or low. Uh, we're going to go through some names here and you're going to tell me if this person finishes higher or lower than they finished at the last open um, higher being have done did, did better. So Damon Dennis, 17th, third in bracket. High or low? Does he do better or worse? I think high, better. Um, Damon Dennis is just one of those guys that everybody forgets about. It wouldn't surprise me he comes out and win this entire Open. Everybody goes, oh, wait, Damon Dennis is still good. Oh, crap, I forgot. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I say higher. Yeah. Yeah, D Damon came out fire at the beginning of last year. He wins National 1, and he actually was in the – this is a cool stat. He was in the bracket final at all – Four nationals super consistent then he fell off at worlds he took 17th in his bracket um then he you know took third at this open i kind of feel like maybe he hasn't got the season rolling yet um mish can we take the line on this one can i take third does it have to be high or low <laughs> no you and your rules <laughs> no it is black or white okay it's high or that. low <laughs> I'm gonna go low. I think that uh, I think that he he's gonna he, he won't be in a bracket final. All right. For that reference on the world's front, he did lose to Duncan Clemmer, who kind of had that Cinderella yes. story run. Yes. So don't know if that plays a factor in, in anybody's decision that he lost to something that was kind of an anomaly in itself. Yeah, like spectacular yeah. for sure. And and on top of that, he actually lost to Duncan Clemmer 
two nationals in a row. So Duncan Clemmer was the yeah. one that dropped him down twice. So Uh-oh. there's a little something going him. on there. Yeah. <laughs> I love plays maybe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Smith, same thing. He is 17th, third in bracket, high or low? Oh, this one's tough um, because I think it's around third. I'll say high. I think he finishes maybe second in a bracket. I don't think he makes a final eight, but – uh, it's right around that second or third. I'll go just a barely higher if I have to pick one. Mm-hmm. Stretch Something feels here. different about Smith this season to me, and it's good. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it is. The mental side of the game is really a, a fight for him. I feel like he's got a better grip on it this year. Like he's kind of figured something out. He's putting up individual PPRs that are up there with the best in the game. I think he's on the high too. I think he can make a final at the bracket or bracket final okay. is open. Adam Hisner, 25th. Fourth in bracket. Yeah, I, he's better than 25th and fourth in a bracket. I'm going high. I think that one's easy. Easy. Higher. Yeah, that was an easy one yeah. for me too. Simple. All right, Eric Davis, ninth, second in bracket. Mm, this is another one that I feel like is right there. So I'm, I basically have to ask, I ask the question, does he make the final eight? Right. If he makes the final eight, I got to go higher. Uh, I'll say no. Uh, I think he's got a little bit more running to do. And then once the Nationals take off, he hits the runway. He's good. I'll say low. Yeah, like you said, Trey, it means he wins a bracket. Um, like, I agree with you, too. You you say he's the most talented bagger on the planet. Uh, this is complete within his, his capability. I think he wins a bracket. I'm going to take the higher. Okay. And last one, Eric Zockline. Ninth, second in bracket. I'm going to sell it. He won, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, he, he actually, um, yeah, I, I think he just barely misses that because I think he really, really played well at the last open. So I'll sell it. I, I'll say, I'll say lower. Yeah. I'm impressed with Eric out of the gate too. winning a bracket though. That would be a huge success for him. Uh, I don't think that's, it's going to happen yet. I'm going to take the lower. All right. We shall see. All right, it's time for Holy Hot Takes. I want to start with Anthony. What's your hot take? Kind of fed on a little bit earlier, but we saw Megan Maupin and Kaylee Hunter have individual success at the last Open, fourth and fifth. My Holy Hot Take is going to be, we see one of these ladies in the finals this weekend coming up. Okay. Trey? I'm tired of Jason McCannon talking all this smack to me about how good of a cornhole player he is. So my hot take is Jason McCannon wins the Pro-Am with Ryan Smith. So I don't want to hear this anymore about how good he is when he doesn't live up to this hot take, but I'm taking it. Let's go, McCann. All right, there you go. <laughs> I love it. And my hot take is that you're going to see a Girls Star 2 sponsored player win one of these events this uh, in Virginia Beach. So, And we've got a lot of them. So it's not quite that big of a, a claim there, but I'm going to go with it. All right, so that's what, all we have time for today. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you guys all next time.